of Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and I'm the CEO and founder of Exaptic, a robotics company based in Melbourne. We specialize in telepresence, social, and educational robots. It gives me great pleasure today to be speaking with Michael Evans. Michael, your tagline reads, helping government and industry understand, navigate, and leverage AI. That's quite a mouthful. Welcome, and tell us about what you do. Thanks for having me. It is quite a mouthful and it's, it's an evolving mouthful that I keep changing depending on how the market evolves. <laughs> and who you're speaking to. Yes, and who I'm speaking to. Um, <laughs> so, so you have a master's in applied finance and management. Tell us about your journey to starting EvansAI.com. It's an interesting one because you don't think applied finance uh, and AI go hand in hand. Um, so I had an undergrad in economics and finance and thought I wanted to go into more the consulting kind of investment realm. Um, so I pursued the master's in applied finance and management. And then in my second year of that, I, in true 21st century form, listened to a podcast that they say changed your life. Uh, and I believe it was, a, it was a Sam Harris podcast, I think back in early 2017. I think it was with Max Tegmark. And they were discussing AI. And I hadn't really heard of it before. And it was something that piqued my intellectual curiosity. Uh, and they were, at the time, talking in the context of artificial general intelligence, not the AI systems that we have today. But it's something I hadn't heard of, and it caught my interest because I've been interested in technology for quite some time. So I started continuing doing some research um, and looking around. It wasn't seeing much here in Australia, um, but there was a fair bit emerging internationally, and I thought this was an interesting space that was being kind of unsupp unsupported and underdeveloped locally. Uh, but I wasn't exactly sure if that was the case, obviously being non-technical and not being in the space at that time. Um, so I was fortunate enough in my last year of my dual masters to be awarded the Global Voices Scholarship. So I was an Australian youth delegate to the World Bank and IMF annual meetings in DC that year. Um, and I conducted a policy fellowship examining the implications of AI and automation for Australia. And this is back in 2017. It was very nascent um, in Australia. And so I went down to Canberra and I met with a bunch of government officials and had a discussion with the other delegates that I had. And it was still seeming that AI was kind of wrapped up in this broader technology perspective. It didn't really have its dedicated focus um, at the government level, um, but it was an area that they were keen to, to engage with. So I did that and then went over to Washington, D.C., expecting it to kind of be still somewhat niche and limited, um, given it was an international um, forum of the World Bank and IMF. And I was kind of blown away by the level and maturity of the discussions and activity that was happening there. It wasn't as introductory as I was expecting it to be, where it was kind of an overview of where AI is at today. You know, it's a multi-decade decade field. It was senior executives, policymakers, outlining and highlighting the importance of AI and how it would transform the world. So I finished the um, policy fellowship and the, the delegation, and I published a paper out of that called um, AI Automation in the Australian Economy. And in my provocative sense, I called it the coming failure of public policy, uh, much to people's chagrin. Um, just because I didn't see enough action and awareness here in Australia. Um, that was back in 2017. I'd say it still kind of holds true today. Uh, so I finished my master's, went into did a bit of consulting, which kind of lightly touched on AI. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to join Data61 to write the Australian Artificial Intelligence Roadmap um, over across 2017, 18, and then 19. Um, and that was kind of a, a good first step, I think, at the national level and for my piquing my interest to go, the policy and strategy space is the place that I really want to play in. Um, yes, it's very far away from finance and economics and management and strategy, but it was a skill set that I could bring um, that I thought really an interesting combination. So release the AI roadmap. Um, I've done a few other roles, um, such as, you know, working with uh, state government to help develop a national regulatory framework for autonomous vehicles. I thought, yep, this is a good opportunity. The, the job doesn't exactly exist today, um, which is a bit of a challenge because I want to focus on AI policy and strategy. There's some roles similar to it globally and they're becoming more, more frequent. Um, but in Australia, it's still a limited role that you don't actually see advertised that often. It's still grouped within more technology policy more generally. Um, so I created Evans AI as a kind of an avenue for me to engage both industry and government to provide that policy strategy and kind of governance advice in my perspectives um, to them and, and to help them mature both either their organisational capability or from a government, from a policy and governance perspective of how they approach AI. 
Okay, so just touching on your autonomous vehicles and, and the work done around there. So the space in, in Australia, I've, I've interviewed Professor Michael Mulford and a couple of people in, on this topic. Um, what's your take on it? What challenges do we face in the space? It's an interesting one because the, the targets keep getting blown out. So there's kind of a bit of fatigue, I think, coming, but there is progress being made at the technical level. Um, the major challenge that I see in taking, I guess, from a non-technical perspective is how the development and deployment of autonomous vehicles will, tra- will challenge traditional governance systems and regulatory frameworks that governments have, as well as the business models that we currently operate under. So all the regulation, the legislation, and the governance systems that we have today for transport have been built upon of two kind of foundations. One is that the, the vehicle level, which is that we have a bunch of standards for this static hardware-based thing that doesn't really change from the second it's been evaluated and approved. Um, and then the, most of the regulatory framework at the state level has been developed upon influencing human behavior. So, you know, we have infringement notices and penalties um, for violations of road rules because we think that it's a behavioral issue and that the regulatory system has been developed for that. They both get fundamentally challenged in a world of autonomous vehicles. Um, A fine that might influence an individual's behavior in that space might not necessarily influence a technical system or a large multinational corporation who you know, for Uber, for example, could just pay the fines, which might not actually lead to an improved safety outcome. So the challenge that I think autonomous vehicles as kind of an applica- application-based example of AI present is that they're fundamentally challenging the governance and regulatory approaches upon which we act today. It's challenging the traditional approach of government and of our systems, and it's forcing us to reconsider them and reapproach them in a new light. And that's not easy to, to do both from a time uh, frame perspective, but also from an understanding of how technology is actually rapidly changing the way in which systems are developed, deployed and governed. Okay, so now when you talk about government, you're based up in Queensland. Is this across the board in Australia or is this just particular to Queensland? This is, I think, part and parcel where we find having several more challenges in Australia is our our different uh, states and the different rules that regulate us all. Yeah, so the, the, there is a national framework for autonomous vehicles being developed, um, led by the National Transportation Commission, um, which is great. And I think it, it's a similar thing we're going to need to find in other areas of AI applications, that we are actually going to need a national approach, if not an international approach to a lot of these applications. And these aren't easy feats, as you know. There is a lot of, you know, if you take autonomous vehicles, for example, there's a lot of difference between states and territories, but even more broadly in terms of AI, in terms of privacy legislation and requirements, um, there is a quite a bit of disparity between the states. Um, so I think this kind of whole of nation um, and whole of government approach to addressing AI is going to be needed. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that we will need dedicated AI legislation such as being developed in Europe. It may just be that we need to modernise the current legislation and government governance toolkit that we have today. Um, but I think all stakeholders need to be involved and all governments need to be actively considering this moving forward because the pace of disruption is accelerating um, and we aren't getting that much better at, develop, at responding quickly. Yeah, you and I touched briefly on, you know, just keeping up to date with everything today. It's it's a minefield out there. And if you um a regular speaker as you are at events that you need to be on top of um, you know, the current because sure as hell you're gonna say something and someone's gonna yeah. look at you and go, You're out of date, my friend. Yes, no, that that's correct. It's even when you have all the time in the world and all the access and all the right linkages. It's almost a torrent of development, particularly even in the policy and strategy space, let alone the technical space. Um, and, and it's very hard to keep track of what is the most up-to-date approach. That is a good and it's a challenging thing. It's challenging from my perspective and being a role that needs to engage with industry and government to help advise on these different approaches to kind of maintain my level of awareness of what the current you know, best practice or current thinking is on an issue. Um, but it is a benefit in that it's demonstrating that the broader AI ecosystem is maturing and that we are developing ideas, policies, actions and strategies to a sufficient level that they are becoming implemented. Uh, but it is a, a key challenge in keeping that kind of global perspective um, particularly for AI policy and strategy and I think it is one that we've lacked traditionally in Australia for many decades due to our you know isolation and um, traditional market defenders is that we need to take a much more global perspective today particularly in the realm of AI and doing that is a challenge for the individual but it's also a challenge for organizations and governments. Yeah so um, just to our audience out there um, do do follow or connect with Michael on LinkedIn and he is also um, publishes on Medium it is Medium is that correct? Uh, it, it is. Yeah, it, it, Medium. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you actually wrote a piece there on the recent uh, budget release for AI um, recent like a couple of months yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, can you take us through what this means for Australia? 
Yeah, happily. And, you know, continuing with, uh, it's a theme of mine to be rather provocative. Um, the article's called Australia Boldly Announces Very Little but Technically More <laughs> Funding for AI. I did um, have a chuckle when I read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a theme for all my Medium articles. It's quite, it's quite a provocative one to kind of evoke a response. Um, so, yeah, as a part of the 2021-2022 um, uh, federal budget, the Australian government announced that they'd be um, investing $124.1 million for AI um, as part of the AI action plan, which was released a few months later. Um, and that was kind of covered across four key initiatives um, that they identified. So they called for the establishment of a national AI centre and four AI and digital capability centres, um, and they provided $53.8 million for that. Uh, they looked to provide grants for businesses to work with government to develop AI solutions, and there was about $30 million um, allocated towards that. There's 24 million for an AI graduates program and a further 12 million uh, for co-funding grants for AI projects that would help regional and remote areas. Now, on the face of it, 124 million sounds good, particularly given the fact that the previous investment was about 29.9 million over the preceding four years. But there are two kind of factors that need to be considered in here. First is that that's not 124 million per annum that's 124 million spread over a four to six year period um, so that reduces it quite significantly to around 30 million dollars a year um, and then the second point is that that is still a rounding error in the global investment landscape at a government level for ai strategies um, and that's even adjusted for gdp um, so a lot of national ai strategies provided not only government funding but they sought um, matched funding from industry so France and Germany I believe both announced three billion euros for AI from I think Germany was 2019 to 2025 late last year they increased that to five billion euros which is the equivalent of eight billion Australian dollars um, and I think that comes in possibly around three billion um, adjusted for GDP for Australia Singapore's national AI strategy called for 150 million Singapore dollars over a five-year period um, and if we put that in Australian terms that's 109 million dollars per year so more than three and a half time Australia's investment on an annual basis. Um, Taiwan announced that they'd be investing $1.6 billion in Australian dollars, um, reflecting a total investment of around 15 times what Australia had been investing so far. Finland's AI strategy um, as one initiative provided 100 million euros, um, which equates to $200 million per year investment in AI alongside other initiatives. Canada, China um, and the US are all in the billions, um, as is Europe more generally, which is also leveraging the European Commission, which is seeking to invest tens of billions Billions of dollars in direct AI investment over the coming decade. Um, Japan's 2018 um, investment was around $250 million in Australian terms. So what we're seeing here is this $30 million a year, $124 million over four to six years, it's a drop in the bucket. And while it is appreciated and it will help jumpstart AI activity across Australia, and it will help prioritise and provide some signalling effects for the global market that Australia is starting to invest in AI capability, it's still significantly lower than what we're seeing in peer nations. Um, and that's going to have... A a multitude of effects, not only from the signaling effect of how serious is Australia compared to the rest of the world, but how can we actually compete with other nations when they're providing such significant fundings and developing their ecosystems and their industries so aggressively? How can Australia continue to compete in that world? Particularly when, for example, in AI, we have a massive talent shortage globally. When there are countries, companies and universities investing hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in this capability, and we're at the low 100 million over a few years, it's a core challenge Australia is going to face. And I think without increased funding which corresponds alongside increased policy action and investment by industry it's going to be a real struggle to see how we can become a world leader uh, i mean I, I listen to the the term a world leader I, I, never mind being a world leader we just need to keep on track with the rest of the world because we yeah. we are falling behind and if you look at the adoption rate of robotics there's no area more clearly that it's demonstrated in australia and I think something that COVID has brought home quite solidly to us all is we're not a sovereign nation at all. No, and it's hard to kind of relate the two segments you hear out of government. You hear, you know, there's a modern manufacturing um, strategy. There's a need to secure the supply chain. But technology seems to be somewhat missing from those kind of conversations, both from a, the realisation that technology is going to enable us to develop a manufacturing sector or an advanced manufacturing sector, but also that technology is kind of you know, the creator of value to, as we increasingly move towards the future is a sovereign capability that we need. And this is one thing that the AI industry more generally has been calling for, is that we cannot be AI adopters. We need to be AI creators if we hope to have economic competitiveness or strategic resilience into the future. And that obviously hinges upon you know, improving the social prosperity and quality of life for Australians. If we can't develop our own AI and leverage it appropriately, we will increasingly become susceptible to competitive disruption from international markets. Yeah. 
Yeah. So from the, res- the research that I've done, there doesn't seem to be like a national manifesto going on. Like we, we touched on this briefly before you and I spoke about like different states doing work. Like how is this all brought together? It's a good question. Um, and manifesto is an interesting term. So technically there is an Australian AI manifesto, um, which was created by Dr. Paul Dalby, Dr. Katrina Wallace and Dr. Evan Shelshire, which essentially was a call to action from members of the AI industry saying that Australia needs to get its act together. We need to do it now and we need to be technology creators, not technology adopters. Um, hopefully, I would expect that out of that National AI Action Plan and the establishment of a National AI Capability Centre, which is going to be led by CSIRO's um, Data61, would hoping help be a coordinating body to help co- um, coordinate action across the states and across industries within those states. There are some other initiatives that are kind of trying to play a similar role. Um, so there is you know, a LinkedIn group with the Australian Artificial Intelligence Network, which seeks to bring together people as kind of a forum to share and distribute knowledge. Um, there's an Australian AI Collective, which I believe is a partnership between the Queensland AI Hub and um, there's a meetup, uh, but it's not the Australian Institute of Machine Learning. Sorry, I'm blanking. Um, a, a, a community in Adelaide. Um, so we're seeing this slowly integration between national coordination, um, but it is still kind of a, a breakup between the states. Um, kind of, you know, New South Wales has an AI strategy. Um, they were the first ones to launch one in Australia, which is good to see. Um, and the Queensland AI Hub is developing an AI strategy for Queensland, an industry-led AI strategy at the moment. So we are slowly starting to see the maturation of these strategies, policies, and aggregate and, and connectivity moving forward. Um, and I hope that the national coordinating body can help play a better role in distributing that knowledge and making sure that we are aligned the challenge that we have is in actually aligning both the vision for what we see australia's role um, on the global ai landscape and how we want to leverage ai and make sure that the states and territories aren't or you know their respective ecosystems aren't actually competing with each other but actually you know collaborating and connecting to compete on the global stage yeah i think you've hit on the important topic here it's a national it's a national framework it's not uh you know like the um the manifesto that was developed was by three private individuals and there was a little bit of argy bargy going on that maybe they didn't speak for the collective whole there it needs to be a national government it needs to be underpinned from a national the government must be doing this and, and we need to have a national voice and i think this is one area where ai um, has, has struggled, particularly in Australia recently. Um, one is in its perception as an industry or a sector itself. And the two is in terms of industry representation, which is kind of as you touched on before, is that there is no single lobbying body. There is no single voice. That doesn't mean we need to all agree on you know, what uh, the national AI capability or AI future should be, but we need a way to influence government and to signal to the world what Australia is doing with AI and how it views it. At the moment, it's very disconnected and there is no body to actually share or engage all the stakeholders that need to be engaged to develop that national capability um, and, that, and that is kind of a detriment to um, Australia's economic competitors and our national security frankly moving forward if you look at all the other national AI strategies uh, throughout the world there's more than 40 45 at the moment they all see these as a strategic imperative and a geopolitical game changer when you hear the US when you hear China when you hear Europe talk about it they talk about sovereign capability and how AI is actually going to change the global landscape and for them it's national security priority the US I think in 2018 named AI their second um, research and development priority behind national security. So all these nations are taking this significantly seriously. They're understanding the economic, social, political, environmental, and geopolitical uh, impacts of AI, and they're reacting accordingly. Then even where they are taking a more market-based approach, which you could argue the US is, they've even taken significant steps recently to increase um, not only their investment, but their uh, coordination um, amongst Congress, for example, there's a bipartisan act um, looking at AI, which, given the current US climate, is quite notable. So we're seeing these nations realise that it's a sovereign capability risk, it's arguably a national security risk, and it's an economic dependency for the future. And they are investing accordingly, they are acting accordingly, and they are coordinating and developing an AI ecosystem across their nations that can actually delve and deliver AI solutions. So at the risk of being a little bit outspoken here, Michael, go for it on my podcast. I absolve you from all problems. <laughs> um, like, what is an Australian government getting about this? It's a good question. Um, and it's one that I think has plagued quite a few people in the, in the Australian AI industry. I, I think our traditional kind of benefits over the last couple of decades 
in having a resource sector that wasn't necessarily dependent upon global markets, we you know we were kind of secure in our economic focus. We are, you know, the benefit of COVID is that we are an island in the corner of the world, as they say. But that's also a weakness in the digital economy, where those traditional barriers no longer exist. Um, it's also an opportunity because you can have an expanded market base. I'm not sure if it's a lack of understanding of the importance of AI or if it's a lack of understanding of how we should act and respond accordingly. Um, one thing I know is a head in the sand isn't going to solve anything. Um, wishful thinking isn't going to solve anything. And I think it's, it's an interesting one because, and it's a good point that I like from Finland's AI strategies, is they specifically call out they must not lack the courage to engage in large-scale reforms. And that's very much what AI is going to require. It's going to require large-scale, both industry and government reforms. And I think that is potentially a scary thing to a government, and you know, rightfully so. Um, but I think it's kind of just a lack of, I, I don't know if it's a lack of awareness of what's going on internationally, but I think this is trying to, there's a traditional perspective in the Australian government and governments, you know, not just in Australia, that we can merely adopt and apply technologies. And AI is not Microsoft Office. It's not a technology that you can just buy a button, hit, adopt, and we will be as competitive. It requires sovereign capability. Um, and I think that, that that changing dynamic also is a, is a challenging perspective to government. Um, and then, you know, with every government that, you know, globally, is that it requires a long-term focus. Um, and sometimes that gets challenged in the short-term political cycle. Um, and also, obviously, you know, COVID has changed government priorities for the last year or two, so you can be forgiven then. Um, but I'm, not, and I'm the only other thing that I consider is that I don't think maybe the Australian government can actually understand or know how to measure what the return on investment for AI would be. Um, given it's not a traditional vertical industry, that's also another challenge. You know, we're, we're, we're quite familiar and happy talking about resources. We're quite familiar and happy talking about transport. We're happy talking at the vertical industry layer, but we're not so good at talking about the broad-based technological capability, which will actually underpin and drive those sectors and become a sector in its own, arguably, moving forward. Look, I mean, if you even if you just even touch on a subsection, if you want to look at cybersecurity and what that can cost us if we're not stepping up our game there, yep. like I, I fail to see that how they can't like take yeah. this seriously. It it does kind of puzzle me. Right? So there's there's you know, billions of dollars for manufacturing. There's billions of dollars, I believe, for cybersecurity, and rightfully so. But when you take sector by sector, and you go, well, what's going to be a core driver of that sector moving forward? AI can be found across all of them. It's a general purpose technology which will transform every sector, every organization, and every industry. And I don't understand why we aren't investing accordingly into that core capability, um, as we do for cybersecurity, for example. Both are critically important. Um, but I'm not sure whether cybersecurity is perhaps getting a more favorable investment because it's more current state as well. Every company still needs cybersecurity. You know, your large mining companies through to your healthcare, through to your cyber, your critical infrastructure, all need cybersecurity. I think that switch hasn't flipped yet. It goes, we're now going to need AI for all those things. Um, and I hope that switch happens soon because realistically, we are on a bit of a time frame here. We can't put this off for another five, 10 years and then turn around and hope that we can magically overnight develop sovereign capability and leverage it and adopt it to position ourselves globally. Um, and you know, I think that is a key concern is that not only from the, the national perspective, but even from retaining the advantages and the strengths that we do have in our AI industry today, um, is that if the opportunities aren't there, if the prioritization isn't there, if the supporting mechanisms aren't there, and there's no overarching vision for how Australia is going to invest and leverage AI, those existing strengths are going to be weakened. We're just going to continue to see an, an erosion of AI capability in Australia as it moves international, internationally. Um, and then that obviously provides a security risk where if all the current systems and all the systems in the future are dependent upon AI and AI capability, mm -hmm. and we don't have that um, possession, what do we do? Yeah, the, the maturity isn't born overnight. It's actually worked on over uh, quite a few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely correct. You cannot magically pop up an AI workforce, for example, overnight. You cannot yeah. radically improve data maturity overnight. You cannot assure the infrastructure that's required overnight. These are transformation initiatives that are going to need to transform. Those processes do not happen overnight. While their impact might be felt rather quickly, particularly if we do get disrupted, for us to actually leverage and embed AI across our key sectors, that is a multi-year, multi-decadal problem. Yeah. So keeping track of what's going on in different states, how do you do this, for instance? How does anyone do it? If anyone's interested in this space, how, how do you keep track of what's going on? Yeah, I'm... I'm I don't actually have a good answer, so I apologise to your to your audience. There's no key sort of resource nationally. Um, the way that I kind of do it is, thankfully, over the few years, I've kind of, you know, collated a very 
um, favorable Twitter following and Twitter groups that kind of puts me at the, you know, the pulse's edge um, of key articles. And then I also subscribe to a variety of think tanks, particularly in the US, out of Europe uh, and out of Asia, which publish kind of daily or weekly updates. Um, and as you said, it's I don't read them all. I can't even come close. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that you know, trying to develop that ecosystem for me works best at the moment, um, but it would be good. And it is a challenge for both myself and I think for AI generally is actually how do we develop the dedicated resources and a, you know, a source of truth and a source of information for AI in Australia, not even talking globally. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and then subscribing to, you know, the Australian Institute for Machine Learning, for example, um, there's the Queensland AI Hub. There's a variety of these things popping up. And particularly as the National AI Capability Centre gets established, whenever that may be, I would hope that that is one of the roles that they could play in providing a trusted source of reliable information of what's going on in Australia. Yeah, like a one-stop shop. You go there yeah. first. That's your first port of call. If you want to know something, then yeah. uh, it's a bit like the Robotics Australia network that we that's been established. That you want to be a first stop for robotics in Australia, um, and that's who Kay, who's now runs yeah. the Queensland AI um, Hub, was instrumental in getting up and running there. Yeah, we need, and we need something similar in Australia. I mean, even the US for the government, there's AI.gov which is the coordinating body for all government initiatives, strategies, targets, legislative pieces. Um, we need a government one, but we also need a whole of ecosystem one, one that can be, you know, catered to startups, to AI professionals, to the general public that are interested. I think they're often a, a forgotten element in, the, in, in this conversation is that we need to educate and increase the awareness amongst our public because they're going to need to develop trust for these systems. Otherwise, it's going to lead to unfavorable outcomes. Yeah, maybe that could be a first initiative for the national AI is just to get this website up and running. Yep. I don't think that could take that long. Michael, get onto it, please. <laughs> like you just do it and then just say, what's it? It's yep. better to ask forgiveness than permission. Yeah, you go yeah. forth. <laughs> I have given you permission. You go forth and you get this up and running. Buy the domain and just register it. I'm sure there'll be no national issues here. No, I'm not, it's funny. <laughs> I, I bet you the domain actually exists. That'd be an interesting yeah. thing to check. Go check it. Yeah. When I get a break from trying to keep up the top myself I'll then try and embed it into it I can save you the trouble I bought the domain just come and ask me I'll give it to you <laughs> so speaking of um uh, uh the robotics and UK because we we have a robotics roadmap um what about the artificial intelligence roadmap so can you talk to that a little bit yeah, so it was funded by the federal government, I believe, in early 2017 and kind of sought to highlight AI in Australia and to identify potential futures or strategies that the Australian government, but also the Australian industry could take to leverage AI. Um, and there are a few key takeaways from it, and I'd encourage anyone who hasn't read the AI roadmap to go find it. It will be on the Data61 uh, website. That's an interesting read. Um, and the two kind of t- key takeaways that I took um, in, in writing it um, and then also from its release, maybe three, is one, there's an AI could be worth up to $315 billion to the Australian economy by 2028. That's a significant and vast sum of money. And if you think about that, $315 billion compared to $124.1 million invested over four to six years, that's either the world's greatest return on investment or yeah. it's not enough to actually achieve it. <laughs> We're missing something, yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, by, by all measures, Australia's investment in AI is woefully low the second key point that i took um and it talks back to that you can't build an ai system over uh, ai industry overnight you can't transform a country overnight is that we may need up to 161,000 ai specialists by 2030 i believe we currently have a few thousand um i'd need to double check what the roadmap said but either way that is a significant amount of ai specialists it takes time to train an AI specialist and we need a pipeline of AI specialists. It's not that we can just go today and magically rip up you know, 20,000 in three months. Um, this is another kind of meta challenge that we need to review how we train, um, you know, not only at the undergraduate, postgraduate level, but at the professional primary school and secondary school level. It's a whole of, e- a whole of curriculum review that we need to do to make sure that we are training Australians for the skills, jobs and opportunities of the future. The AI roadmap then um, took a kind of, and this is kind of the view that I've had for a few years, it provided a, a, an overview of the global landscape. Um, and, you know, I, I think as I've, I've hopefully highlighted throughout today is that the world is racing ahead for AI and views it as the strategic imperative and game changer for the next 10, 20, 30 years. They're not going to wait for Australia. We either need to take the action ourselves to make sure that we have a role in the future or increasingly just become more dependent on external vendors or become outcompeted by companies that are successful in leveraging and using AI. 
AI roadmap then provided a kind of few strategic options. Um, so you know, they highlighted that Australia could take a kind of technological specialization where we invest in key kind of capabilities or key key areas. Obviously, the risk of that is that if you did guess wrong, um, that might might not be overly great. Um, they also identified it also identified that mission directed research could be an approach that we take, or that we focus on building business and knowledge systems. And then towards the end, it, it highlighted a variety of um, what it called foundations for the future, so areas where action would be required. Um, so there was developing an AI specialist workforce, um, providing career transition assistance and skills upgrades, looking at data governance and access, building trust in AI. In AI. And I think that's a key one when we lack um, awareness and trust in AI across Australia. Um, science research and technology development, as you said, you know, I think research and development investment has been declining for five, 10 years now in Australia at both the government and um, enterprise level um, to assure digital infrastructure and cybersecurity, and then obviously to make sure that we look at standards, interoperability and ethics. And I think there's a kind of some core key meta um, areas that the Australian government and industry should focus on. And I think it was partly a call to action. I would have liked to have seen possibly that be released um, into a national AI strategy or a bigger commitment from government when it was launched. Um, I think it was a good paper and it was a good initial piece that was necessary in Australia to kind of highlight what AI is, what it could mean for us, how is it being used today and into the future and what do we need to do and what could we benefit from it. Um, I think that served its piece, but I would like to see that kind of capitulated more into more action at the federal level and by industry as well. So um, was this just a one-off or is this supposed to be like a bi-yearly or like, I mean, you can't just yeah. have one it was, know, roadmap? As far as I was aware, uh, well, I'm currently aware it was a one-off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's an interesting point that you raised, and I would agree with that. So similar as we were talking before about, you know, an, an AI.gov website, we can find all the information. Mm-hmm. I think we need an annual state of AI in Australia report. Um, that details the maturity, um, the capability, the weaknesses, the challenges, the strengths, the opportunities of AI. Yeah, or set nearby, um, the Robotics Roadmap of Australia, we've just completed the 2020. I mean, I know it's 2021, but it is yeah. about to be released. But, I mean, be with us. We'll give you the COVID, COVID. break. Yeah. yeah, give us the COVID break. The COVID happened. So you don't get back to someone that's COVID. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. Relax. Yeah. You don't have to get back to me for five months. It's been COVID. But, yeah. you know, like, definitely. like Because the landscape from 2017 to 2021 has definitely changed. Um, you know, even just with the Queensland AI Hub, like, the more organizations such as this have sprung up yeah that, that's completely correct i mean as you said biannually even three years at the moment i would take more than one i would take it yeah moment. um but thankfully we are seeing increased activity in ai in australia as you said there's been the queensland ai hub established there's also been a variety of other research um, in industry public partnerships arise we've seen an acceleration of ai startups still significant challenges facing the ai ecosystem in australia but at least we're seeing industry startups and other AI communities start to increase activity. And I think that's fruitful. But as you said, if, if you're not measuring it, you can't evaluate it. Yeah. So that might be another reason why the government isn't doing it is because we don't actually have metrics for AI. The Australian Bureau of Statistics does not consider AI in its isolation. It doesn't have a value of AI in 2021, 20, 22. It doesn't have statistics on the level of investment. Um, thankfully, yeah. the, I think it's the 2020 or the 2021 Australian Business Characteristics Survey did include AI, the results weren't great. It was 4% of companies that consider themselves innovative, innovation active used AI and 1% of companies who didn't had used or considered AI. So less than 5%. Um, and that's just not going to... That's why I'm for. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, there's, there's a, a broad, significant, ongoing and multifaceted range of challenges facing AI in Australia. But if we took the right action today and we provided the necessary support investment and action behind it we could actually leverage it today to actually be well positioned for the future to ensure that we do remain competitive that we do actually generate the jobs of the future in australia and we don't just feel the negative impacts of disruption yeah or we have bright sparks such as yourself and other youngsters that then get picked off the crop to go overseas um love it that you go overseas but quite frankly we need you in australia yeah it's a hard one so in between doing the roadmap um, and, a couple, and Evans AI, essentially, is I came very, very close to moving to Canada. Um, and it is, there is a lack of opportunity here, both for the policy strategy level, but even at the technical level. Um, mm-hmm. And the competitiveness is, you know, look at the salaries in the US, what they're offering for an AI specialist and the type of work that they're trying to do, or even Canada or the UK or Taiwan or Japan or China compared to Australia. And it just kept that you will hit this point where the opportunities are so lacking, the impacts are so significant, and the effort is so monumental 
that we do actually risk an increase in capital flight. Yeah. The benefit that we do have, thankfully, is we're a you know, modern, prosperous society. We have strong healthcare. We are an attractive place to move to or to live or to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, but the global AI workforce, for example, or global AI companies aren't seeing potentially reasons beyond that to move to Australia for AI. If you're an AI specialist in America, he goes, Australia looks like a fantastic place to live. Um, the opportunities just don't seem as as, um, as large. Um, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it is a challenge that I think is going to be increased. We're going to see the increased impact from. Um, and hopefully, you know, either government, industry, academia, or ideally all of the above um, can really start changing the tune on AI in Australia. Listen, it's a it's a collaboration. There's not one sector here that yeah. can handle this on their own. Like you need you need the universities, you need them strongly pushing, and then you need industry coming together. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And while I did list off a bunch of government-based investments, um, not only did I mention that France and Germany sought equal investment from, from industry, but industry and academia are actually investing billions and billions and billions of dollars in AI as well. Yeah. I'd like to see that um, happen in Australia. I would like to see matched investment across all three stakeholder groups to really help mature and drive AI activity. Because as you mentioned, government alone cannot create AI applications and create the companies to sell them. Industry can't do it without the enabling policy and governance environment. And academia needs all the support it gets at the moment. Um, to make sure that it can continue to help advance the technology. And they all, academia also plays a core role in making sure that we are governing and viewing and addressing AI correctly at a societal level. I wonder whether it's like a little bit of a too hard basket, you know, like they, the, the, the different sides just don't know how to tackle this and just how to get the sides together. Yeah, uh, uh, that's possibly it. it. I don't think it's overly difficult. Is create a national office for artificial intelligence, hire a bunch of people, give them some money and give them one to two years. You know, if you need that long to write a national AI strategy and to engage the broader community. It sounds so simple. Like, uh, what, what have we missed, Michael? Like, this, this, should, this is quite doable. It, it is. And this could be another one is that, as you said, you know, we all have there's a Department of Transport and Main Roads, there's a Department of Healthcare, there's a Department of you know, Agricultural Resources, a Department of Industry. Is that where does AI live? Um, and I think there might be a part that states and the national government don't quite know yet is, well, is AI about state development is it about industry engagement is it about at the application level um i've argued for a while that we need a dedicated body um to address ai that should have remits to engage all governments state federal local and all departments to ensure that they are all ready for ai and then to also engage at the industry level um, and i would like to see obviously an industry body as well so the queensland AI hub is a good example of that is we need a government body and we need an industry body and they need to work together Actually, you know what? You just have the Department of AI, and because it, yeah. it touches everything, you you can't actually how, how are you going to like? It yeah. Just it's across everything. So, yeah. and I think that is like potentially one of the challenges to government is they go well, they're trying to fit it into a box when it's a box in itself. Um, it's, yeah, just create it, it, a new box. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, will you will you send me a link on that uh, artificial roadmap? That the I interview? will. Yes. Would yeah. you Would you mind, please? Because I put it in the show notes. Now, the Department of Industry, Science, Energy, and Resources. I have to read this because it's such yeah. a mouthful. <laughs> DICE is it this or DICE? Called for an action plan for all Australians. A call for views. Yeah. This closed in t- November 2020. What's happened with this? Yep, so that did um, get matured into a national AI action plan, which was released, I want to say, July, but I could be a bit off then. And those were those kind of four initiatives that I uh, mentioned earlier in the piece that went alongside the 124.1 million. I think it started asking the good right questions. I think it started framing it correctly. I would have liked to see, as I said, more money, more action, and a more cohesive and comprehensive strategy developed, not just an action plan, but a national strategy. Um, And one of the other things that I think would have been good to see, but I don't think we did, is that well, there was stakeholder consultations put into that. So I submitted my perspective, which is also available on my website if you want to nerd out and look at what I think for that, um, is that I didn't see all the stakeholder feedback released publicly. Um, it didn't seem as a third department wanted to release what stakeholders had submitted. And I think that does a disservice to the AI community and the AI um, ecosystem more broadly. Yes, if there are more sensitive applications, I agree, don't release those. But I think part of this engaging nationally is that we actually share what people are thinking because if you silo everyone off and just leave it controlled and no one gets to see what happened to their input, it actually just weakens the industry. So I would like to see more engagement, more released engagement um, come from that. But I know that there were many submissions um, to that from you know your KPMG through to little old me putting in submissions and there was a lot there. Uh, so I'm glad to see that it did result in an AI action plan. I'm a bit disheartened to see it's a four to six year horizon with limited ambition and scope. 
Well, look, if they've asked stakeholders to put uh, put forward information, surely they, after they've released their plan, stakeholders can go back and say, well, they don't actually think this is good enough. I, I would hope so. And I, I believe there is a, I don't know the team, I assume there is a team within the Department of uh, Industry, Science, Energy and Resources <laughs> looking after AI. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think they should get all the support and everything that they need to get the job done. I, I just think that it's, it's, it's a bit hard when it's not being prioritised enough at the yeah, the decision-maker level, um, perhaps. Yeah, but, listen, know. and if anyone from that department is listening to this podcast, this is not like a let's destroy you and your work event. <laughs> Please don't see it as no, such. Yeah. Like, we really just want to get this off the ground and get it going, you know? Like, yeah, that's absolutely correct. It's not a you've done a bad no, job. I actually think the initiative no. in the were very good. Yeah. I think that the investment was encouraging. Yeah. Um, it's just that, you know, it's a scaled problem that needs more resources and commitment than is currently being provided. Um, so I think, you know, we're on the right path. We just need to accelerate and amplify that path. Yeah. And all the stakeholders together and that's universities and industry speaking up, um, I think, more vocally on, on the issues. Yeah. And there was the, uh, I'm going to blank on what it's called. There was a national AI conference that launched the AI action plan and mm-hmm. it had been used, um, I think it was Tectonic to launch the national AI roadmap and more events like that where you can bring stakeholders together to share their views, to share their thoughts and collaborate and identify paths forward where you can this you know symbiosis where you know public private investment is a good one yeah um, you know even like uh, you know i could say 124 million is a lot but even if you had another 124 million from industry that's doubling it yeah um so i think we need to just integrate stakeholders more and we've got a good solid foundation now it remains to be seen what comes of the national ai um, capability center and what the other four centers are i don't think they've been put out for tender or announced yet so i eagerly wait to see what they are and i hope that they are you know suitably um, identified and funded and supported and that they can actually help drive AI over the next, you know, at least few years, if not into the decades coming. Look, Michael, I think the positive thing is AI and robotics, it, it's on more and more people's horizon and has been yeah. spoken about more and more. Like if you're in the, the field, um, I think you would even acknowledge that. Like it is, it's yeah. more out there. Yeah, in 2017, when I was looking around thinking, what is this thing? There was a small um, Brisbane-based AI meetup. There's a few similarly throughout the throughout, um the country the level of activity and engagement is you know several fold increased on that um, yeah. and I think that is only a trend that's continued uh, expected to continue um, which is great to see and it's also expanding across stakeholder groups so you know AI is no longer this thing that's discussed in a research lab in a university that everyone else is kind of like well I don't know what that is it's now seeking its way into industry into government and into society well, it, it touches us in our everyday lives if you're using Siri you're using yeah. AI on your phone you know it's not some foreign concept anymore that you go it's it's not in my world no it's not and and Australian citizens and people that live in Australia are rightfully going to have questions about this. What does this mean for my job? What does this mean for my skill set? What does this mean for the sector or business that I'm in or where I run? Um, What does, you know, how is my privacy going to be protected? How do I actually know what an AI system is? What happens if it makes a decision I don't agree with? These are the big questions that are still outstanding and we need to involve and include the public in those conversations um, if we are to actually develop a healthy and responsible um, AI um, industry. Well, I mean, you, you sort of, it's a segue into uh, uh, ethics because, you know, the biases that AI can have and like that could probably be just a podcast on its own. <laughs> so just the ethics um, framework, can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, so it's not my area of expertise. So I'll just say that up front. I wasn't directly involved, but there was a, alongside the AI roadmap was an AI ethics framework, um, which wasn't developed by Data61 and announced by the federal government. Um, and I kind of looked at eight kind of key areas um, for ethics. So I looked at human, human, social, and environmental well-being, human-centered values, fairness, privacy, protection, and security, reliability and safety, transparency and explainability, contestability and accountability. Now, these are kind of like the high-level issues um, that we do need to address at the ethical level. There are more beyond that, and they keep evolving, which is the nature of AI being a technology that co- continues to seep into different applications and domains. Um, you know, every, everything from the bias in the system through to how does the at a government level, respond to computational propaganda. Mm-hmm. Or if you know Toby Walsh, how do, yeah. how do we address lethal autonomous weapons systems? Mm-hmm. Because AI touches everything, ethics need to be applied to everything. And strong governance systems need to be applied to that as well. So it's kind of twofold. There's one is how do we have the conversation on what this technology looks like and how do we shape it moving forward? And then the other challenge that we have is how do we translate um, these you know, non-prescriptive principles um, into tangible requirements which can be audited or evaluated at a deployed sense. How do, how do we go from a nice principle of, you know, thou shalt be fair, thou shalt not harm, into actual tangible elements that 
technicians that are developing AI systems can consider throughout their development life cycles. Um, and I think that is a core challenge. Um, and, you know, that was highlighted the Australian Human Rights Commission just earlier this year, released a final report on technology um, and ethics, which was a, an interesting read. But these are big, broad, heavy questions that there aren't necessarily a simple answer to. Um, and we need to be thinking about them across all stakeholder groups and the public, because this is going to take, similar to the AI industry, it's going to take years potentially to solve. Michael, it's fascinating. You know what, you and I can spend another afternoon sitting and talking about this. I think it's a it's a rapidly evolving space, although it doesn't feel like it, it is. Um, I think it feels slow, but in, in actuality, um, actually, we, we have made a lot of progress. It, you know, it just... I think it's for some people sitting back and when you've been um, a proponent of it and going, we should be doing this, we should be doing this, that, that everything feels slow until you actually go when someone on the outside is going, but that's that's actually not too bad, you know, yeah. like in terms of, you know, government pace. Yeah, Pro- progress has and is being made. Um, yeah. It's just that the nature, you know, and I'm definitely one of those people that, you know, tries to keep my pulse on everything. So I see, you know, daily I'm seeing new actions, new investments, new, new advances being made. And it's hard to kind of, you know, pair those two together sometimes. Uh, but it is a core challenge as well is that AI as all technology is changing the scope, um, scale and pace at which evolution and disruption um, can happen. Um, and we need to make sure that we keep um, our, our eye on the ball and make sure we don't fall behind. But I do acknowledge that, you know, if you compare to when I started in 2017, we didn't have a national AI roadmap. There wasn't an AI action plan. There wasn't an AI ethics framework. We didn't have the Queensland AI Hub. I don't think we had the Australian Institute of Machine Learning. There's a bunch of other research centres and public-private partnerships that have been established. We didn't have as many um, AI startups. So we are moving in the direct right direction. We just need to make sure that we keep our foot on the, on the gas. Well, you know... I'm, I'm looking at you and we were talking about the AstraZeneca and the Pfizer and I, you know, like I age differences, I'm joking, but, you yeah. know, for, for, for the generation coming up in Australia, you know, the, the youngsters now being in year 12, going to universities, like this is a whole different world and it will impact them. Yeah, absolutely correctly. It's, we're going to, you know, if you look at the um, pace of change over the last 20 years, um, you know, compared to now, and you accelerate that, what's the next 20 years look like? Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the challenge is that this, we will be going through the disruptive period over the next 10 to 20 years um, and all only continue. So how do we make sure both that we are designing it correctly and that we are bringing along and addressing, um, you know, all, all generations? This can't be a conversation that's had by the, well, I'm not that old, but yeah, over 30s um, mm-hmm. that goes, you know, we, we all design it, we all put it in place and you guys will just have to live with it. How do we include you know, children from today onwards? How do we make sure that they have the requisite skills and capabilities? Um, I was just looking earlier today, and one of the concerning things is that we've seen a decline in core mathematics and science capabilities over the last 5, 10, 15 years. Those are going to be even more um, important moving to the future. As in well Australia, as... though. Yeah, in Australia, sorry. In yeah. Australia. Yeah, I highlight like yeah. that in Australia, not in the rest of the world. No, it, 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 it is Australia. Um, mm. and, rel- and comparative to it was a ranking. Yeah. Um, as well as the soft skills and the ability to actually understand technology and to live with technology. Um, their voices, you know, the younger voices are going to be just as important as ours are. They're going to be impacted arguably more than we will. Um, but it's a whole, a whole of society and whole of economy challenge and opportunity. And we need to make sure that everyone is brought along. Yeah, look, I probably, I spoke to Dr. Amanda Kappels, who's the the lead scientist in Victoria, and I said to her, what we should do, and I, I gave her the thing to do, is um, STEM subjects should be compulsory till you're 12. You don't have an option. But like you, um, maths, definitely, whether it's a high grade or low grade, you don't actually have an option. You have to have a maths as a, as a STEM, as a final year subject. Yep, and, and I would go further than that. I, I would say that you also need to make sure that ethics, governments, uh, also taught and how, how not only the capability to understand and develop these systems but the way in which they are developed and make sure they are used responsibly that they are done in a trusted way to make sure that we are considering the broader impacts than just you know the, the economic bottom line of gdp is going fantastic but the societal outcomes aren't great we really need to take a kind of balanced view on ai um, and that starts from you know the education Listen, so you, you do some talking. Where can people reach you? What are you what are you getting involved in next? And like um in a year, a couple of months time, I'm gonna have you back here and I'm gonna say, <laughs> have you got the national roadmap? Have you got it going? Like Maybe give me more of a few months. Uh, so I, I think you'll link in the description. So obviously evansai.com is a website. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm also on Twitter. Um I'll put my handle up there, I don't know what is off the top of my heart. 
ahead. Twitter's probably the best place to reach me if you just want to follow and engage and see what I'm doing and kind of I'll share kind of emerging announcements that I think are important and share some kind of quick snippets. Um, Evans AI and Medium is where I'll put my kind of longer content to. Um, where to next? Uh, ho- hopefully continuing to help government industry um, leverage AI and address it. Um, what that role specifically looks like is remains to be seen. Um, always out there. If anyone has an opportunity or would like to engage or just share some thoughts or grab a coffee, feel free to reach out. Um, and in terms of the AI roadmap, hopefully, hopefully more continued action um, over the next year would be good. Um, but yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out to me on any of my mediums. I'm always happy to have a chat about all things AI. Michael, it's been really interesting. As I said, I do follow you on LinkedIn, so I'm always interested to see what you like and where you comment because then I immediately go, I should be reading up on this, and so I know as well. So for our listeners, um, that's just a cheeky little tip. It's a, yeah. bit like, it's a bit like a little ferret running over your, you know, when they when you stalk someone on Facebook, not that I do this, but Kitty yeah. Flanagan, the, the comedian, goes, you need a little ferret that pops up that says, Nikki's here, Nikki's here, and yeah, that will yeah. stop everyone. <laughs> you know, you'll stop any privacy issues issues i actually thought that was very funny but anyway i do enjoy your post and then where you you go on um do you do this on linkedin do you do you look at if you follow someone and then they like something do you go oh let me go and see what they've liked i I actually think that's a good way of staying up to date on things yeah i I try and engage somewhat regularly on on linkedin more so on twitter the, the, the pace that the platform enables um but yeah no definitely looking for those little quirky announcements even if it's just you know you haven't followed every piece that they've liked in the last two three months it's that piece that they you know post and you go, oh that's interesting yeah um, and usually you know it's follow someone happy as well as someone like me who's sometimes a bit down and you know complaining about local state <laughs> but you'll always see a provocative title from me so make sure you get that, that healthy balance um <laughs> listen i'm just going to throw you under the bus <laughs> all, all these all these opinions they're only michael's it's all yeah. michael's doing <laughs> yes they're all my personal uh, personal perspectives yeah um, and you know I'm, I'm only so harsh because i can <laughs> listen it's been an absolute breath of fresh air um i will watch you with uh lots of interest to see what you're doing in the space and um to our audience i will put michael's email address out there although he said twitter i will put his email address yep. and um i'm assuming that's okay michael yeah, that's email yeah, yeah. and um i look uh-huh. forward to- yeah, thank, thank you. I, I look forward to being back and sharing some more news. Hopefully, it would uh, be great. More positive news, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> to our listeners, uh, I hope you enjoyed today's talk. I hope you have a wonderful day and join me again next week in Let's Talk Robotics. Mm-hmm.